making dark Isn't it funny how hard it is to start Making money, making art But you're not alone In the unknown of making money, making art Welcome back to Making Money, Making Art, the podcast where we have transparent conversations with artists about money and dive deep on all aspects of creativity. I'm Kate, and today I'm drinking some ginger peach tea. Uh, Actually, I'm not drinking it yet. That is a lie. It's still a little bit too hot, (laughs) but it smells divine, and I have had it before, so I know it will taste just as wonderful as it smells. And I'm actually drinking it out of one of my favorite mugs. It's a Winnie the Pooh mug. Uh, It's actually too tall for my cappuccino machine, so I only really get to use it when I drink tea. Uh, and there's a quote on one side by A.A. A. Milne, the author of Pooh, that says, as soon as I saw you, I knew an adventure was going to happen, which I love for so many reasons, but also as it relates to us, those of us on our own sort of creative journey and it truly being an adventure. I think once you decide you want to pursue a creative path in whatever capacity, right? So whether you want to do it professionally or as a hobby or just sort of dabble and explore, you're sort of co-signing a new adventure, a new chapter or subplot in your life. Uh, One that you don't have complete control over, even as us artists sometimes wish we did. (laughs) So to that end, a couple updates on my own personal journey. As some of y'all know, I had sent in a story for Hallmark's open submissions and just received my rejection a few days ago. My friend and I received our joint rejection um, about 10 days prior. I am so, so, so glad I submitted and went through the entire process. And I guess that's the kind of other part of the adventure. For instance, I'm predominantly a novel writer, but in order to submit, you're also writing a query letter. You're writing a synopsis. You're just always learning these new different skills along the way. (laughs) And uh, today's guest, Sarah Hoffman, knows that very well. She self-published her first book while she was still in high school, uh, which blew my mind as we were talking, uh, and has since published several more series. But she's also just about to graduate with her master's in publishing from NYU. We chat about her internship experience working for a literary agent, although she's no longer working there as of this recording, and discuss what it's like to see into both sides of the publishing world world, not just the writer aspect and the kind of agent um, publisher aspect, but also the trad pub versus self pub aspect. It was just very cool. And it was really awesome to hear her personal reasons for wanting to enter into trad pub as an agent versus also just self-publishing as a writer. I met Zara through AuthorTube and streaming, so we chat about growing and meeting people over social media, as well as what it's like to run her own podcast that she co-hosts with her friend Kelly Wright called Wright-ish. It was so much fun for me to get to pick Zara's brain on the straddle between trad pub and self-pub, and I hope y'all enjoy hearing from her as much as I did. You're the first person to see my office. Yeah, it's really nice. Yeah, it's huge. There are only five of us. And like, you can see the white desks back there. Yeah. There are four sets of two. And it's like, only three of the desks are used. That's good. Yeah, you could just spread. I'm sure y'all have. I mean, I say that now everything's done on email. I was like, I I bet way back when agencies just had so many papers. You probably still have a lot of papers. I mean, okay, so books, we don't. But theater, who like sit diagonally behind me, they are constantly printing stuff. Yeah. And I think it's because their clientele are like, we need it in paper. And I'm like, but like... Do you? Like iPads exist. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's so cool. Okay. So then before I get to the first official question, I have to ask, what is it like working for a place that's doing like, you know, theater contracts? I I know they have like a Hollywood, like a movie TV show kind of arm as well. You have books like. Yeah. They also have, they have one woman doing podcasts. Yeah. She doesn't have an assistant, which is like awful um we're hoping like within the next year she'll be able to get one um because she's maintaining an entire department by herself and while there is one person doing book to screen he's like supported by the two literary agents so it's not like all on him and he has an assistant as well so it's like um it's really cool the meeting the weekly staff meeting is like really overwhelming because it's on zoom and before it was overwhelming because there were like 
a hundred people on the zoom individually when we're work from home. And that's like a lot of people, but then it's overwhelming now because we have our offices now. So people are in conference rooms and like only the big people are at their computers in their offices and we can't like hear anyone if they're in the giant office space because there's one mic per office space and we're just like sitting there being like we're here because we have to be but we can't hear anything oh no it makes sense but I remember back when I was working corporate and we had uh conference calls all the time and stuff like that and I'm always like there needs there should be a better way to do this and yet and yet there's just not there really isn't Okay, Zara, are you ready for the first question? I am. I have all my numbers ready to go. <laughs> all right, I'm excited. Zara, how much money do you make from your many, many creative endeavors? <laughs> okay, so regarding books, I have made almost $700 profit. Uh-huh. Um, but I have made a lot more through Kofi and I have some money through Twitch. So I guess a quick breakdown is I have, you know, made maximum $227 on my first book. And that makes sense because it's been out the longest since 2017. And then the second book, $100, the third book, 66 which is normal because you lose readers the farther along you get in a series. And yeah. then um, my second trilogy has like done pretty well, 172 for the first book, which came out in January 2021. And then basically the same amount of money for both book two and book three in that trilogy, which is like pretty unheard of in the industry. And I think it's because like a lot of people were buying book two and book three at the same time, which I'm not complaining about because it means like I got more money than I was expecting to on book three. Um, And those numbers include what I sell through my Kofi shop because I sell signed paperbacks. But then if we go to Kofi, in total, I have made $3,230 and three, sorry, and 30 cents um, since January 1st, 2021, which is like crazy. I've fundraised three goals and I made, I have made $494 with subscriptions, but now have $53 a month of like reliable income with subscriptions, which is Mm -hmm. like crazy. Um, $562 with freelance gigs, $562 from the shop, which includes some of the paperbacks that I were included in like my earlier number, my books number, but then I've made like a lot of money off of my downloadable guides. I've made $180 off of my Kofi guide for writers um, at 20 bucks a pop. And then uh, a lot of people were interested in my outlining method, but I charge like $3 for it because I don't think it's anything special, but people like it. Um, And then one-off tips, I've gotten $1,612. So that was the breakdown of Kofi. And I'm sure everyone who's listening is like, I'm done. (laughs) But then lastly, I get about $10.50 per month from Twitch. Uh, So in total, monthly income Kofi plus Twitch is $63.50. Yeah, that's awesome. So... Uh, one of the things I'm kind of curious on, because I think that uh, the Kofi Guide for Writers is genius. I think digital downloads uh, are just so great as, as a creator to be able to be like, okay, I only have to make this thing once. 
and then like forever it should make me money, right? So how do you kind of go about deciding one, how to charge for that kind of thing, since I know you didn't, you don't want to price the outlining method as high, yeah. but also just like, how do you come up with it? Because I know you've had a couple other ideas for guides. I know your scripter one you've talked about. Yeah. That was more tutorial. It's in process. It's more just like life keeps throwing things at me. And I'm like, do I know that the entire writing community would fall on this? Yes. Would I be happy to make it? Am I happy to make it? Yes. Do I have the time? No. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But going back to like the pricing, I, with the outlining method, people have told me they're like, you could do $10. And I was like, I would just feel not comfortable with that. Cause it's like, it doesn't steal from any method, but I'm very transparent where it's like, I've read basically every outlining method. I like the snowflake method the best. So that's kind of where this jumps off from. And then also like at this point, I feel like we've all internalized the hero's journey and Freytag's pyramid. But like, if you don't know what those are, here's like a really brief overview. And then this is my crazy outlining method. And it's basically like, it's crazy because of this, what it looks like the steps are. But honestly, if you don't go into detail, it's fine. And if you go into a lot of detail, it's fine. You're going to end up with something that looks like cousins (laughs) to mine because I feel like I'm pretty in the middle of the road. Like I outline more than some outliners. And then I know like Brooke, when she was writing books and not all covers, she would write scenes in her outline and then like copy and paste them into her book. And Sometimes I have a scene as an idea, but that never goes in my outline. That goes into my notes app until I figure out what chapter I want to put it in. And then I copy and paste it into Scrivener um, and things like that. So with that, I was like, people are telling me I can charge more. I do not feel comfortable doing so. so. And then with the Kofi guide for writers, I was like, oh, I think I should do like five like because it is more valuable and people are like 10 at minimum and then I look something up and someone had like a hundred I think it was like a hundred Kofi prompts and it was like very general and it wasn't aimed at anyone in specifically and they were charging like 30 and I was like I don't know if I feel comfortable with 30 but I let Barrett Lori, who like buys everything from my Kofi all the time, uh, which I think probably makes his husband hate me because his husband's the one who does <laughs> the budget. Um, and then like my VIP club members, Regina, Duke, Kronoyami, and Natalie Locke are all like either supporters of ours on AuthorTube or have their own channel like Natalie does. And they were like, oh, absolutely. 20 bucks uh, because like you have the experience to justify that number. So I was like, okay, fine. (laughs) Yeah. It's so interesting because I think uh, it can be really hard. I know when I was starting out on uh, AuthorTube, um, a lot of the like normal advice where it's like for YouTubers do this and that and whatever really did not translate to our community for some reason. So absolutely like niching your product into like, for writers helps so much more and and should be a reason that you charge more, you know? Well, like, because I was thinking, I went back and forth on making it at all, but I just kept reading the very nice, I love Kofi, I'm an ambassador, which means I get free gold, which means I don't have to give up any money to them if I don't want to. Um, But I do love what they do. So I do turn on that donation to them. Um... But they have guides and almost always their advice is like from visual artists. And sometimes they throw in a podcaster there and now they throw in a few more writers because I think that they know that I've been like pretty vocal. Whereas a lot of the other writer, Kofi ambassadors, like they're pretty quiet in the server until they're like, oh, we like this feature, but they're not like asking for things a lot. 
Mm -hmm. Um, whereas because like I'm from AuthorTube and I'm like trying to get everyone from Patreon over to Kofi, I'm like, these are the features we need, please (laughs) do them. (laughs) So I think they're like, okay, we need to represent writers a bit more in the general advice that we're putting out, but it's still not as aimed at us as possible. And then with every writer, it's like, if you don't have stuff published, what do you do? So I think some people feel like, oh, I can't make a Patreon um, because like that's asking for tips and I haven't produced anything yet. But then with Kofi, it's they feel that way on top of like there's a shop option. What if I have nothing to put in the shop? And I'm and my advice in the guide is basically like you have things you don't need to have your book yet, but having the page will let you get tips until your book is out and then you can add your signed paperback to the shop. Yeah, that's, that is genius. Cause I was totally thinking like, uh, one of my big reasons for not doing Kofi is I feel like I don't have anything to offer that I, that I don't really offer other places, you know, cause I know we talked about Patreon having the polls, so that makes it easier. And then like, but then when I think about like a, a dedicated thing, I'm like, well, I don't have anything to give people other than, you know, so yeah, yeah maybe well, I should just brainstorm. The thing though is that like, we would all love your advice on like <laughs> creating an author tube channel. And I know that like in past Q&A videos on your channel, you're like, it was different when I joined. So I don't know if this advice still holds, but like a lot of it still does. And also if you had it in one place, digital download on your Kofi page. All right. You know what, Sarah? I, you've convinced me. I will do it. I don't know. Sometime this year. <laughs> I'll figure out a time and I'll come up with a little thing. It'll be fun. I have a quick clarification question. Um, Cause earlier you said you, I think you said you published your first novel in 2017. Yeah. Is that right? Okay. So I went to Amazon and I went and looked and I thought I saw something that was the Belgrave daughter. I, okay. Yes. So <laughs> that technically was my first book, okay. but it was back when the Belgrave legacy was going to be a trilogy about Fawn and Caleb alone, like one relationship, three books, which is what my second trilogy stellar blood was Mm -hmm. but the belgrave legacy trilogy as it stands and as is you're able to purchase without like spending like 50 bucks because someone's reselling the belgrave daughter i don't know who's buying that i don't recommend you buy it because i rewrote it and it's better now um (laughs) was i had written the belgrave daughter published it because i was very happy with where it was and i still am but I then wrote part two, which was called Tears of an Angel, and then part three, which was called Prophecy, and then I changed it to The Witch's War, and now none of that really matters. Um, And the third one was fine. The second one felt like there wasn't enough in it to justify its own book. And I was like, I am someone who's an underwriter. Uh, and I hate the idea of like just padding something with fluff. So I instead took down the Belgrave daughter, rewrote all three to fit into one book with a few better transitions. And as I was doing that, the best friend and the brother of Fawn from the Belgrave daughter slash what became the Belgrave legacy were like, we need our own book, which meant I had to take even more out of Tears of an Angel and save that for what became unmoored. Uh, And then I thought it was going to be a duology because they're the ones who are like most involved. And then the third book just came to me where it's like, here's like an epilogue epilogue type of thing to the first two (laughs) books, but also like has its completely own plot and you get to see the return of the four other characters. So like, there's no reason not to, because it's a very fun idea and it was a lot of fun writing. (laughs) And then it came out in the middle of the pandemic. That's that's awesome though. Yeah, so I'm sure people who were fans of it were like, oh my God, thank you, Sarah. <laughs> we, get, we need something to like push us through. So you published that in 2013. I know where I was in 2013 and I also know I'm older than you. Yeah, um, I was in high school. Like, yeah, okay, Sarah. Oh my God. Like, I think it was my sophomore year of high school. Yeah, sophomore year of high school. I was going to say, it wasn't like you were a senior either. Like that <laughs> no. makes a difference. I think you 
were you were young yeah that's wild so i guess you know kind of my question is you know it, it sounds were like you crazy do this well not even crazy i mean that's just like such dedication at that age how did you kind of always have that knowledge that you're like this is what i'm gonna do because of course now you you went to school um yeah. you know, graduate school for publishing ultimately it it totally was something you wanted to do so i'm just kind of curious about <laughs> sophomore you is like <laughs> i'm gonna publish a book and what that was like so well, I don't remember learning how to read and I don't remember like learning a love of reading. I don't think I ever went through a phase where it's like, oh, I have to read. And like, I fell in love with it once I got to read the books I wanted to. My whole family is huge on books. Now, granted, it's like me and my two older cousins who are six and eight years older than me who lived in New York City, like Manhattan, with me when I was growing up, one now lives in England with her husband. Um, so we're not all in Manhattan anymore. And the other lives in Brooklyn with her family. Um, but like the three of us were basically the only ones who like loved fiction. Everyone else in the family is pretty nonfiction oriented, which is fine. But when they're like, here's a book. And I'm like, do you know the little free time I have? Do you really think I'm going to be reading that when I could be like, escaping into something yeah. instead so I loved reading and I don't think it was until I learned that like Christopher Paolini and this and now I feel awful but it was like this 13 year old Asian girl had gotten picked up I think maybe by Scholastic for a fantasy series and it was like not only are there writers behind these stories, which I don't think entered my consciousness until I was like maybe six, where it's like someone has to write these stories. Um, it was like, oh, I could do this. And for a period of time, I thought I was going to, you know, do traditional publishing very young because I've like basically been doing it since myself since I was six, but telling stories that my mom was writing down since I was like able to string together a sentence. Um but then when I got older, I realized that there are editors, like I could actually work in publishing. And then my first literary agency internship in summer 2019, I was like, I think I want to be an agent instead. And then he told me like, you should apply to the master's in publishing program at NYU. I'm a teacher there. You make a lot of good connections. It's really worth your time and money and it's money <laughs> to yeah. be in this program um to put it lightly but I it has been amazing and I have learned a lot a lot about the industry like the different facets of it uh, from the traditional side versus the indie side but having done indie publishing before I actually went in knowing a lot more than I expected Anyway, I took some editing classes in the program because I was like, I'm not sure. I'm still on the fence between editor and agent. And I took those classes. And I was like, am I good at it? Yes. I still want to be an agent <laughs> instead of an editor. Um, but with knowing that like I had a story that I thought was good enough to publish is that like while my family is very, very supportive of what I do, and I'm very lucky to be able to say that. They're not some, like, they're not people who will be like, oh, that's so good. Pat on the head if it's, like, behind your back. They'll be like, that was really not good. Like, yeah. we should tell her, but no one wants to tell her. No, like, my mom has always been like, if it's not good, I will tell you. I will be like, you can do better. Do better <laughs> type of yeah. thing. So, I just felt like I, I'd always had the stories and I put in the work to make it as good as possible. So there was never a question of me publishing it. Uh, there were like two, three years after five years of researching traditional publishing where I thought I would do that. I queried for one year um, and I didn't get anything and that was fine. And self-publishing was not a backup option. I want to be clear. It should not be a backup option, which Jesse Elliott made very clear in her interview on my podcast, the British podcast that I run with Kelly Wright. Um, but I spent like three more years researching 
self-publishing in the very chaotic and stressful transition from middle school to high school because my middle school ended thank god because that was basically where all my trauma comes from um but i had to basically go through a college application process to get into high school <laughs> so the fact that i was researching how to self-publish during this time i think confused a lot of people in the family <laughs> where it's like why are you stressing yourself out by researching something else? And I'm like, because it takes my mind off the fact that I have to wait for high school acceptance. Oh my gosh, that's wild. I mean, I I, I think it's so nice I for future, uh, for your future clients, uh, but just in general for you in publishing, like to have people who have done both routes. So I, I do want to come back to your self-published books later, but you did mention the Writish podcast that you host <laughs> uh, with Kelly. Um, what made y'all decide to start a podcast? Um, and also like, ha have you learned and what have you learned along the way? Cause I know y'all do different seasons. You sometimes interview people, you have like themes. Sure. Yeah. Um, in short, it's Kelly's fault. So April 2nd, 2021. So for people who listen to your podcast, I'm sure everyone knows that that's Camp Nano. Um, it's also Riley's birthday, my dog. So, and it was the day that I'd gotten my second COVID vaccine, um, not the booster, but like my second dose, I think even before the booster was like a thought. Um, so she messages me like in the evening on Instagram. She's like, what if we do a podcast? And I was like, okay. Okay, because she is like convinced I'm going to be her future agent. And I have said, if it works out fine, but also query agents in the meantime, because I don't know how long that's going to take. And like, I don't want any of our writer friends to like, be hanging their hat on me becoming an agent soon. Because while authors, on average, don't make a ton of money, like, you'd still be getting money sooner if you had an agent and sold a book sooner than waiting for me <laughs> to do it yeah. for, you know? Um, so she comes to me with all her ideas and normally I help her like figure out certain things. She's like, I could do this or this with the story. And I'm like, well, this would be better if you like thought about these things. And then this would be better if you thought about these things, like I'm never going to make a decision for any of my writer friends who asked me for advice. Um, I'd feel really bad if like that didn't pan out, but she was also comes to me with, you know, life projects that she wants to do. But this one was one that she wanted to do with me. And she was like, I have the idea. I don't know how to do editing. I don't know how this would work, but like, what do you think? And I was like, sure. Why not? <laughs> It'll be fun. <laughs> we have a lot to talk about. We obviously can't talk about them during like my sprint live streams because then we'd never get to sprinting. So she designed the logo. We came up with the name. She gave ideas and I just picked. Uh, we started a ton of Google documents. Uh, our longest one is our episode list where we were brainstorming ideas and we kind of grouped them by like when once we started doing interviews in the second season she was like we should do this thing called genre gossip where we pick a genre and we interview writers that we know do that and so we started grouping those and then once I was comfortable with asking you know my professors from my grad school program who are in the field normally have like 10 plus years of experience in some way even if they haven't been 10 years in their position, which most of them are not because while they're all older than me, none of them are like middle-aged. Like I think max they're 40 years old, uh -huh. maybe. Um, and, or like 45 for maybe a few, but anyway, it's like, I started asking them. So then it was just sprinkling them in and we didn't want to only do interviews because what if something fell through so we still have ones where it's just me and her talking and normally we do the episode like on the genre here are our thoughts about it before we then ask other people about it type of thing um so we group things by topic but at the same time every season's a mixed bag and yeah. 
when we interviewed you for our podcast, you were like, how do you decide on the length of a season? And we, our answer was we wing it. Uh, it's just like in the calendar, like we try and make them about three months long. And now that I have a job and I'm the editor, the ability to make sure that I have an episode edited for every week disappeared. <laughs> so now it's every other week starting season three. And so the number of episodes that we had planned could have gone down, but instead we were just like, okay, it's extending to maybe the three and a half or maybe four and a half months because we still like the grouping of the episodes that we initially set out. Um, So yeah, we're figuring it out as we go. I think we found out that while we are very similar in many ways, we have different opinions on things, like different perspectives, which I love. And then it's really nice to be able to talk at length with other people in our writing community about things because there's so much that we don't put on author tube either because the time to write if you write scripts for your videos film and edit them <laughs> you know a lot of people don't have the time to do that so being able to talk at length about stuff is really nice yes no I totally agree I think that's so cool and it's nice that obviously y'all have done multiple seasons now because I know working with a friend can sometimes be a challenge yeah (laughs) it's like you have to work through that and be like oh no we can work together so obviously y'all have proven you can work together and that's really cool yeah it's it's a nice gift to be able to work with a friend um that does bring up uh the ever-present question of like how do you juggle all that you do because you I know I knew (laughs) your face Uh, for for people who are listening and can't see us that's I'm laughing. It's basically yes, what's happening. Yeah. Just, a, just a steady exhale through the nose real quick. Um, I mean, you had, you were, you were in school uh, at, at one point, I think uh, you graduated or the graduate. So I was state- in under, I, I was finishing up undergrad when I like really went down the author tube rabbit hole. I had yeah. first found it. When was the first Wander Writers retreat that Jesse did? I feel like that was back in like 2018, 2019, 2018. It had to be 2018. It wasn't 2019. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It wasn't just a year that I had watched her videos. Um, So yeah, so 2018 was when I found AuthorTube, but it was like, I was really only watching Jessie and then she privated all her videos. So I kind of forgot it existed. Um, And then pandemic hit. So that's all I was watching uh, and attending streams, like I mentioned earlier. Um, so what I was using those sprints for and the ones that I host is to get all my other stuff done. So I do kill two birds with one stone. When I was making videos, I was like carving out time and, uh, alternating like my focus for each day. And I have since learned that while I get into the flow of, you know, if I'm like, today's a school day, today's a writing day, or revising or editing or whatever but like I'm working on my books day I'm working on podcasts whatever I would get really really burnt out by having focused days so instead what I do is I maybe pick like one project for each area work is obviously priority and then schools maybe even priority over that if there's a a a deadline coming and I knock out the things that have to be done first. And during the work day, I'm only doing work unless it's my lunch hour, in which case I normally try and do some podcast editing. But sometimes I'm like, I, I just want to write this mm-hmm. chapter outline or I just want to do something else. Um, and then when I get home, I normally am doing writing stuff. So I've become a night owl again. Like at the start of the pandemic, I was totally a night owl and then like really, really bad night owl, like no sleep schedule whatsoever. And then I did the 5am writers challenge with some people and I 
I'm not a fan of waking up that early, but it did turn <laughs> me into a morning person. Um, cause then at that point, waking up at eight felt like sleeping in. <laughs> yeah. So now I'm a morning person, which is good because by the time I got my job now, which starts pretty late in my opinion, it starts at 10 AM. Um, it at least allows me to have a job that will allow me to function in normal society. Um, because while I do live in New York City, the city that never sleeps, a lot of the never sleeping part is theater. And like, I'm not comfortable going to all those shows yet, even though they're very strict about like, you have to be vaccinated. They check everything. You have to wear a mask the whole time. So they are really on top of it. And I do appreciate that. But if I don't have to be in a really crowded auditorium for a lot of money right now, yeah. I don't think I'm going to opt into that type of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the rest of the city never sleeps is like at bars, which again, don't want to be in a really crowded situation or parties. Same caveat applies. Now I'm a up as much as possible person I guess um but I the way that I juggle everything is I am like juggling by alternating I don't um get everything done every single day I my bullet journal would is always optimistic (laughs) because like maybe I can do a little bit of everything um but it's normally like I like to finish something within each thing but it's never like I'm going to finish five chapters in one day. Like that's unrealistic for me now. It's like, can I continue writing this chapter? If I already started it, can I reach the end? Can I Mm -hmm. start the next chapter? So I'm not staring at a blank page the next time I can actually, you know, spend enough time to maybe finish said chapter. Can I get to the five minute point in the in finished audio of the next podcast episode because we release the first five minutes early to monthly supporters on our podcast Kofi page. Um, so I set like myself little milestones within each project and that's what I try to reach every day. Okay. I love that you said it is actually a juggle. Like I'm going to have to start uh, <laughs> either when I answer that or when I talk to other people because I, I appreciate that. Um, one of the things that I love about your social media, um, is that you have like a little diagram you post for the words you got and you show when it's like fiction words and then like all your other words. Um, I'm curious as someone who has attempted to track my word count in the past, uh, and found that I thought it was kind of a a bit of a struggle, um, how you enjoy doing that. I love seeing it. And that's what, just like in general, how I guess you go about tracking that sort of thing. Um, so wordcounter.net is my favorite website ever, except maybe, <laughs> you know, my, it, I mean, my email page is not my favorite, but I, it's probably the most visited one yeah. <laughs> on my browser. And then um, that one's definitely second. And what I do is that the day after I count the words. So with um, in Scrivener, some like if you delete a word that you had written earlier, but then write like maybe you delete two words, but you wrote five. It doesn't understand that. So I try to count those as I'm going along. Mm -hmm. But everything else is like I count the next day because who knows, maybe I think I'm done tweeting for the day and then it's like, oh, thought of something else. Um, so I just do the math all in one go. Um, and definitely with emails, because sometimes uh, I'll send an email like after I've already clocked out because I'm just like, it's one thing. Also, we are three hours ahead of there are five of us in this office. There are maybe 115 people in the L.A. office. So they don't understand that we're in New York. Like, I thought that they were just like, oh, they're still working, so they're still sending emails. And then one of my coworkers, who's also an assistant, was like, no, like, they think we're in the building with them. And I'm like, okay, I'll people need to be a little bit less self-centered. 
Yeah. But just like put at the bottom of your email. (laughs) I'm in New York. It does say, I mean, there is now the office number, which is a 212 number because we're in New York. And I, they don't read my signature most of the time because clients will think that I'm my boss. They'll like say my boss's name in the email. And I just like, I'm not correcting them. I don't feel like doing that. So yeah, people don't read all the way to the bottom of an email is what I've learned. That is very true. You kind of mentioned your sort of long-term goals is that you'd love to be an agent. Yeah. Um, And obviously as you go through, like we, we all change our opinions, you know, and we all grow and learn more things. So that could, that could be up in the air, but um, I am curious, just generally long-term goals, either from like including self-publishing, including being in the trad pub world. Do you have like, this is the pinnacle of what I want to do? Yeah, I would like, I want to be an agent. I want to be making money for my clients, which means I'm making money for myself because agents work on commission. So if you ever think like my agent doesn't care about me, your agent is probably in tears, like over the fact that they have no personal life because they're working their butt off and it's really hard to sell a book. So if you think it's hard to like get an agent, it's because they're picking what they know that they can bust their ass on trying to get an editor to pick it up because if they're not passionate about the project they're doing you a favor by turning you down Mm -hmm. um they also can get like a thousand emails in one day so that's why they don't have time to like give you a long drawn out this is not working for me because and you should fix it this way they don't have time they're human don't get mad at them i always get so upset when i see that on twitter Agents are human. But I also want to self-publish my books. I don't really think I have aspirations to become a hybrid author. Um, I do have a collection of personal essays that I'm working on that I think could be interesting to publishers if I ever wanted to go that route. But the other part of me is like, it's so personal. I don't know if I want to hand over any of that. Mm-hmm. to someone else so that would be the only thing uh I'm not going to become a nonfiction writer I don't think my life is interesting enough to write like an autobiography um but you know that would kind of be a one and done in my current mindset um but my fiction books the plan is to just continue self-publishing them at my own pace because I like I said I now have a 50 hour work week on top of yeah. everything else. Yeah, no, that's awesome though. I like that uh, you'll just, yeah, you're just doing what you want to do, which I think is phenomenal, especially in a creative world. It, that's, that feels like best case scenario oftentimes. I've never been someone who thinks, like who has dreamed of like writing full time. Um, during the pandemic, I learned that I have ADHD because I met people on AuthorTube who have it and were very open about like their symptoms. And I was like, I have some of those symptoms, but also my symptoms are the ones that people think are proof that you don't have it, where it's you hyperfixate, you lose track of time because you're so focused. Um But then also ones that like I never really thought of is like I hate silence. So I will have Netflix on in the background. I will have YouTube on in the background, sometimes at the same time, which like used to drive my mom crazy, which is why I always had my room closed uh, when I was still living with her um, while I was working uh, and or music playing. That was chill because, you know, my music taste stemmed from hers and she likes all the music I like now. so yeah it's like I had these symptoms and once I learned that I was like oh that explains why I wouldn't be able to work for myself exclusively um because while I set deadlines and I'm pretty good at meeting them most of the time um because I know they have to fit into pockets around school um I was like once school ends if all I have is left is my creative stuff I'm gonna set unrealistic expectations for myself on everything and then I'll always feel like a failure. <laughs> so yeah, I was like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's smart though, that you, you know yourself to be like, that just would not work. <laughs> I admire people who can do it. And there's always a part of me is like, what if I didn't have to answer to anyone? And then I was like, but like, 
I know I hate summer vacation because of that. So like, no go. (laughs) Yeah. For your self-published books then. Uh, I know one of the things that you have that I think is so cool um, is you basically have like a kind of running list of what you're going to work on next. Oh yeah. My to be written list on my coping Yes, your to be written list. It's it's still one of my favorite things I've ever heard because I didn't realize that I was like, I guess I do have like an unofficial, but you have like an official (laughs) it's like an accountability thing for me um because I do have it privately as well but once I started my Kofi page you know even I it sounds like I never run out of ideas for my Kofi page that's not true I don't have as big an audience as you where it's like or like a a thing where it's like you're doing experiments so you always have something to like engage your followers on um so I was like you know I should put this up because uh, I'm not going to put it up on my website because I don't feel like I need anyone who's going to hire me to like see it front and center. Um, but, you know, people who want to meander over to my Kofi page, like they'll they'll see it if they scroll really far. Um, they don't have a way to like see archive posts yet by month or something or by tag, even though they have a tag field. So I have asked them, I was like, can you make the tags functional? Because <laughs> I feel like that's the point of tags. Yeah. Um, but I keep a list in Notion, which I learned from you. So thank you. And when you mentioned my to be written list in one of your videos, I was like, oh my God. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I have it running. I, it's in the order that I come up with the ideas. Stellar Blood completely jumped the list. So rude <laughs> to my other stories. It's why I wrote a trilogy after a trilogy. I really wanted to write standalone, like four standalones before I went back into series. That did not happen. The My two works in progress now um, are standalones. And, and I like that. I Most of my ideas are in series and that's totally fine. But my goal is to give myself a breather of a standalone in between each series because I'm someone who's like once I'm in the world I can't work on multiple series at once I can't really Mm -hmm. even work on a standalone and a series at the same time unless it's like okay this is in revision this is a draft but I can't be thinking up the content from scratch in two different arenas at the same time if one is like okay you need to really really think about continuity across multiple books versus it's all contained in one book. You can just scroll up in the document to find your continuity. I'm, I'm so impressed by people who write series as someone who's attempted to write a series. And like, I, I think I'm getting the skill set needed that like, I'll be able to return if not later this year, like next year. Like I think, cause continuity just. But like, me. I really love that you wrote them all and are going back to edit before you release a single one. Cause I haven't done that for my previous two trilogies. I keep telling myself I'm going to do it differently when I do my other series. I don't know if I have that patience. Like that's not to say that I rush my books. I don't. But like when I feel like a story is finished, I want it out there. Mm -hmm. And then I have all my documents to maintain the continuity going forward. Like it's very linear for me. I can't skip chapters the one time I did I had to completely rewrite the chapter that I skipped forward to write because things that then happened before it changed and that was in uh, obscure origin if people are wondering like the giant fight scene at the end completely had to change because I was like you know what the way the doors work don't make sense which means the plot before needs to change which means the fight needs to change (laughs) yeah yeah um so for me there isn't ever really a oh I wrote the first book and it's gonna have to change because something I did in the second book it's like I can't do anything in the second book that doesn't that wasn't set up in the first book but I with my to be written list because it's so freaking long that means at minimum I've thought of every story at least to some capacity if it's like in the back of my mind which means it like really only manifests during like the small pockets of time where I'm not preoccupied by something else or like in my dreams for at least three years. So it's like, there's no real worry in my mind to me 
that oh, I want to think of something world building wise that should have been established in book one. So like with certain, with a certain series by a certain author who has fallen from grace, um, there are certain things that are inserted and you're like, this should have been mentioned in book one. Like even if it doesn't come to fruition until book five, you if you had put it in then, it would feel even more grounded, you know, type yeah. of thing. It's like it never felt ungrounded, but it's like you could have laid the groundwork earlier because you did it for so many other things. Yeah. Like I'm not going to run into that problem is basically what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. That's what I, – if I could do it like you, I would. So that's the kind of – I know we all are – we all take our own skill sets and like, we're all trying to do this similar thing, but very differently. Like if I could, I would aspire to that, but I know my brain's just not going to work like that, which is why I don't trust myself. I think, yeah, <laughs> we have to work with ourselves. We have to work with ourselves. <laughs> yeah. I guess maybe this last question um, is kind of about your uh, master's in publishing experience. I'm just curious if you had a favorite class along the time. Obviously, a lot of the classes were very involved and in that you were doing projects yeah. and submitting and stuff. So I'm just wondering if you could like overview of the experience, happy you did it, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I think everyone else is really stressed out about Capstone. And that's not to say I'm not stressed out about it. But it's a different kind of stress because it's like, I want to be perfect, not because I'm behind on deadlines, uh, because I'm worried I won't make a deadline, because there's so much stuff for me to do. Like, I'm ahead. <laughs> yeah. um, but, like, that's kind of my favorite because you have – you for your capstone, you can't use any project that you used throughout the rest of your career in the two-year program. Or longer if you're not a full-time student. Um, and I came up with my idea like within the first week of the program. So I was like, I am saving this baby. So being able to actually do it has made this class my favorite. And it's also with my favorite teacher because I had him in the first, my first year, spring semester. So like a full year went by before I saw him again. Which And the first class I took with him was about publishing startups, which felt like the most aligned with the indie experience. So I just really like that class. That said, I loved my social media class with Lauren Hesse, who I interviewed on Rightish. Kelly and I interviewed on Rightish. It wasn't just me. Um, and, you know, my intro to book publishing pro uh, f professor, everyone has to take intro to book publishing, intro to magazine media media law and capstone obviously and then multimedia financial analysis part two which once you get there then they tell you that like oh it's basically all for your capstone um <laughs> and like going in you're like oh, i have to do math on top of like this already final project class which is going to be stressful no matter how you cut it like i mentioned earlier um so yeah, there have been lots of classes I just really liked. I loved my teacher in sales and merchandising, but it wasn't really something I wanted to do because it's like, this is how many books books you're expecting to sell through all these channels. And I don't set selling goals for my books. Um, I know people who do pre-orders do, like Sarah Sutton absolutely does. Jesse Elliott does. Um, I'm sure there are others <laughs> who do. I don't. Writing is not a hobby for me in that, like, I do want to make money off of it. I do make money off of it. If I made more money off of it, I would be very happy. Um, but I'm not someone who plans, like, this is how it has to perform. I plan <laughs> that this is how it needs to be executed. I love that line so much. I'm sorry. <laughs> like a visceral reaction. Like you lean back in your chair and you're like, amen, silently. Yes. Yeah. Because I think that's so tough in creative fields. So many people, like you try and put numbers to to how something sells to how many views you get to how many this. And like, if it motivates you, it's good. But I know for most people, I've 
you know, eventually chatted to where they're like, I can pinpoint when this changed for me and it was no longer a good thing. So if you can just control what you can control yeah, and do put the best stuff out there that you can. I mean, like for my capstone project, I do have to. Right. <laughs> put numbers to my friend's books. Yeah. And like when I, I think I sent yours out, but like when I send it out to people, it's like, this is the expectation of the industry for the genre for a debut author this is not me saying I have no faith in you this is like I have to adhere to what I've learned in this program I can't like go gung-ho and be like this person's going to be able to sell like across all of our friends platforms on AuthorTube so I can't be like oh because you're in Kate's chat all the time which has this many views all the time that everyone in that chat is going to buy your book. <laughs> you know, I can't do that. Again, I just think it's so cool that you've able you've been able to have the trad pub experience, self-pub yourself, and then you're doing all of this social media stuff. And it's just cool to see someone who has their hands almost in everything. I genuinely think it's hilarious that you think I'm good at social media because I'm like, I fall down on it. It's what I think when I look at Sarah Sutton and like you with your videos and like, your live streams and like I I love it and I like from afar I'm like giving kudos <laughs> claps you know from the opposite side of my screen um but for me I'm like oh I'm almost out of posts buffer time for like three hours like maybe once a month and then that's it and then you know the counting the words like that's my regular thing <laughs> See, I think that's genius though. I like it. So I guess it's always one of those things of it's like um, finding people that you enjoy and seeing what they do. And even if you can't do that, being like inspired by them, right? Yeah, so. no, absolutely. Okay, well, Sarah, where can people find you online? If they'd like to follow, where can they find your books? Let us know. Um, So my books are wide. So you can buy paperbacks through Barnes & Noble, the website, and Amazon. But if you want to sign copy and you live in the U.S. or Canada, my Kofi page is where it's at. Um, if you live internationally, you can buy a signed book plate from me. If you go to my website, ZaraHoffman.com, it's connected to everything. Really, Kofi is the best place to follow me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Zara. Thank you for having me on. I totally fangirled when I saw your email. <laughs> I'm like, would you like to be interviewed? I was like, do I make enough money for me to say yes? But also I want to say yes no matter what. Oh my God. I had so much fun getting to chat with Zara. I did want to make a quick point at the end of her interview there. But one of the, you know, fun things for me is chatting with people who make all different amounts of money or don't make any money yet, but are looking at wanting to make money from their art or, you know, have been doing this for 20 years or whatever, right? So it's it's not about how much you make. I think we all learn different things along the way. And I think sharing this knowledge is so helpful. Um, and Zara shared so much knowledge with me. She was just dropping knowledge bobs all over the place. Uh, I was especially intrigued by her Masters of Publishing classes, um, the specific classes, because I think it really helps to highlight how how it is a business, right? Once you've finished creating the thing, creating the art, you know, the getting it into people's hands is the business part. Seeing how many hands you can get it into, seeing how uh, cheaply you, you can get it into as many hands as possible, right? Like so many things are what makes up the business and the publishing aspect is the business. Um, so it was really interesting to hear the sort of emphasis on that in terms of the classes that she was taking. And I think it was a nice contrast to her own personal feelings about not putting like pre-sale numbers on her goals, right? So not having how many books she hopes to sell or how much money she's hoping to make from her art. She, when she chose self-publishing for her, that meant she was choosing to you know, just try to get the art out there and how much she sells doesn't matter. Of course, we always love to sell more or, you know, have our stories in more hands or have our art seen by more people or heard by more people or loved and enjoyed, you know, so many different things. The more people who can appreciate our art, you know, that is incredibly validating in a lot of ways, but it is not necessarily like the marker of uh, if the art is good, right? Um, but in a business sense, <laughs> when you're on the other side of that, you know, how much money it makes is is that marker of success. So it was just really interesting to hear. Um, I think Zara's 
mentality about it all is kind of perfectly poised to straddle that line. That's what I was so impressed by. Um, And I hope to see more and more people in the future, you know, straddling that line. I think that would be so cool as someone who is an aspiring hybrid author. You know, I want to be traditionally published one day. I think that would be wonderful. But I also love my self-publishing side, right? Anyways, it just gave me so much to think about, so much to consider. While I do not think I would be getting a master's in publishing anytime soon, I do think it is so cool that that is offered. And I'm really intrigued at hearing from more people potentially who chose an education path to helping them either hone in on their artistic skills or hone in on the business side of it. I'm, I'm, fascinated. (laughs) But that is going to be it for this episode. If you'd like to easily find Sarah online, I will have linked all of her work and her social media in the show notes. And if you'd like to support this podcast or recommend an artist for me to interview, you can find us at ko-fi.com. That is ko-fi.com slash making money, making art. As always, you can find me as Kate Cavanaugh writes on YouTube, Twitch, and Instagram. And my website is readwriterome.blog. The music for Making Money Making Art was created by the amazingly skilled and talented Mega Vidal, and I will see you all very soon. Happy creating! Making money, making art.